0: And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be listening to this podcast, a lot of people who have their own kids. uh, Maybe Maisha will be listening to this podcast when she's old (laughs) enough. So what would you tell those people, either 10-year-old Rabab or one day 10-year-old Maisha, uh, and, and let's say they want to enter the entertainment industry, what would you say?
1: I would actually give them the same advice that my mom throughout my growing years has been giving me. There is a piece of Urdu poetry that she used to quote, quote uh, for me. I would roughly tell you what it means, that you should never be uh, afraid of anything opposing you, like the winds that oppose a bird, because that they only help you in flying higher. So my mom would always quote that piece of poetry uh, to me, and uh, whenever I, w- I felt overwhelmed or you know something was really challenging, she would tell me that all the obstacles in your way are just there to make you better at what you do.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Marilyn. And I'm Rhea.
2: And you're listening to Who Run The World, a podcast where two Arab women and best friends come together to talk about what's on their mind and the mind of their peers today. And today, Rezi, we're talking about the entertainment industry. You've been um, trying to get me to do this for years, actually. Uh, and we finally agreed because we finally found an
0: angle that we love. Tell us about yes. it. Even though I tried to get you to do pop culture recaps, this is not this kind of episode. We're not going to be talking about the award season. Uh, we're not going to be talking about Wheel of Time, even though I know that you really want to talk about Wheel of Time. I do. But we're not. We're going to talk about something else, if you can believe it or not. Yeah, we're going to be talking about what it's like being in the industry and navigating
2: many things. Being a woman, being from Pakistan, and being a mother. I wouldn't even be able to do the first one, but our guest manages to do all three, and we can't wait
0: to ask her many, many questions. Super excited. And so our guest today is a Dubai-based Pakistani actress and media personality who has appeared on pretty much every medium you can think of she's done theater she's done web series she's done television but we will let her do the honor of telling you about all the amazing work she's done also my Urdu is not very good so I probably will butcher all the titles and I really don't want to do that (laughs) she also happens to be a mother who's absolutely rocking it in the entertainment industry and she's a friend of mine Uh, and we're so excited to have her on the pod so please help me in welcoming to your ears. Rabab Hashim. Hey, Rabab.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for such a lovely introduction, Rhea. I am so excited to be a part of the podcast. And hi, Marilyn.
2: Hey. So happy to see you again. I I was honored to be invited alongside uh, Rabab a few months ago um, for a women's event at Spotify. And I was so inspired by your answers and just the courage and the strength and the beauty of your messaging, too. Um, And so we're so, so happy to have you here on the show.
1: Actually, that feeling was mutual. I felt the same way. And I think I also said that to Rhea later on. Um, yeah. It was just so refreshing to meet someone with such a, a perspective that is so inspiring. So
0: Well, I remember when we were putting that panel together, I couldn't have imagined it would be so you know valuable. You both had amazing one-liners that I think the rest of the <laughs> team was quoting until now. So it was really, really great. And so, yeah, after that panel, Marilyn and I are like, we need to get Rabab on the podcast and have Mm -hmm. a full-on conversation with her about her story, about the entertainment industry, about being a mother in the entertainment industry. So we are going to talk about it all today. To start off, let's go back to your origin story, Rabab. Let's go to the beginning because we love starting at the beginning. At what moment did you know that this was going to be the career for you? When did you kind of decide Or have you always wanted to be a media personality? So the
1: funny part or the fascinating part for me now is that acting was not something that I chose. It sort of happened to me because my career started at the age of 10. And I think at the age of 10, you barely ever like I have not met anyone who would say that they know what they want to do in life. It just sort of I stumbled upon it and it became the thing that I later on realized was something that I would do for the rest of my life and something that I would love for the rest of my life. And by the way, I've always been an introvert. So I've always been the shy kid in class who would find it hard to like, you know, speak out or like, you know, uh, be in a situation where I'm surrounded by a lot of people. So I was 10 years old and this audition came along and my parents were like, why don't you give it a shot? And I did not think that I could pull it off. So um accompanied by my parents I went for the audition my brother was there like they were all supporting me helping me out and I was like a 10 year old kid with like fringes and like you know with no experience <laughs> in this and when we went for the audition it was like a proper tv studio with like lots of people there lots of other people auditioning and um, I somehow made it I think it was it was just the fact that I had my family supporting me sort of got the confidence And I got selected for the show. And the funny part was, it wasn't even an acting audition. Mm. It was a kids news show. So I was supposed to be hosting. And that's how the journey started for television. And once I started doing that, it was like, you know, weekdays, I'm going to school, weekends, I'm looking forward to just be out all day shooting that episode. And it became like such an exciting process for me that um, eventually I was like, this has to continue. So I would tell my parents that I'm going to work super hard. I'll get the best grades, but I need to keep doing this. It was just like the most rewarding time of the week when I was out there Mm. in front of the camera doing something and later on watching it on TV. Mm. After that, at some point um, I stumbled upon theater when it comes to TV. And when it comes to theater, I think theater is where my heart is. Mm. So There's this uh, academy in Pakistan. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's called the National Academy of Performing Arts. It's the first proper drama school that opened up in Pakistan. Mm -hmm. So I just went with my mom one winter vacation. I was a seventh grader. I just went for guitar classes over there because... Around the time that I was growing up, these bands were really popular. So me and my friends, we would always aspire to like, you know, sort of start a band or learn an instrument or like do music or something like that. Again, my mother was with me and, you know, I thought that um, let's just give it a shot. When we went there, they were like, our admissions criteria is you need to be at least 18. So you're like six years too young for this. <laughs> and I, it was it was funny because the teachers were laughing when they saw me and they were like, you're just a kid and my mom was like you also have acting classes she was like why don't you audition her and they again looked at each other and they started laughing and it was it was sort of a joke for them at the, back then and they were like okay fine she can audition the only person back then who took it seriously was probably my mother because <laughs> she went home from there and she was like you need to prepare for this and i was like i don't even you know understand this language because it was in very tough urdu it was a mm-hmm. classical text that they wanted me to audition with so Uh, She prepared me for the audition. She bought a bunch of DVDs. Uh, She showed me those actual movies that were made on, uh, you know, those classical plays that they had given me. And I did not know what I was doing. She blocked the entire uh, monologue for me, the movement and everything. All of the people uh, who were auditioning, like the panel, they were all Pakistani legends. Like they were famous Mm. actors that my parents were like in awe of or like big fans of. My only advantage was I was 12 and I did not know who they were. So when I stood in front of them, I was not very intimidated by, you know, being in front of a panel that's like full of amazing actors. And I just auditioned for it and call it luck. I got selected. And when they called me, they were like, we are not sure how this is going to work because all of our students are in their 20s and you're 12, but your audition was good. (laughs) So... I think that's how it began, and um, then I was just enrolled, and it's it was like Monday to Friday, I'm going to school.
2: We can call it luck, or it sounds like we should call it your mother's preparation. <laughs> like,
0: Absolutely. Move aside, the uh, Kris Jenner. Yeah, uh, Rabab's <laughs> mom is where it's at. Like she, is she my uh,
1: manager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think one thing that I've learned in life uh, from her specifically since a very young age was this: that when you set a goal there is nothing stopping you from accomplishing it. You just need to focus your energy on it. And since school, I think that's how she's taken everything for me. Like, you know, there's there's a speech that I need to prepare. There's a debate that I need to win. She's like, you just need the right strategy. And I think that has helped me a lot. Like even now with my own kid, I'm starting to apply that. Like sometimes things start to seem tough and I'm like, no, I just need to focus and I'll just get there. So once, like, you know, uh, I was there for the first semester and I was on stage and it was my final. That was the first time that I saw myself, um, you know, in front of an audience of like 500 people because the finals were always open for uh, friends and family to attend. And with all these lights on me, I felt like it was just magical. Like, you know, the energy of the audience, you can practically feel it on your skin. You get goosebumps while you're performing. And you sort of respond to that energy. So I think that was the day, the lucky day that I discovered that theater was probably going to be my first love for the rest of my life, because even camera doesn't do that to
0: you. I don't remember who said this. I think it was Tom Hanks, but I might be completely wrong. I'll Google it while you talk. It's probably Tom Hanks quoting someone else. But it was film is for the director, TV is for the writer and theater is for the actor. Because, you know, uh, a good play is really dependent on the actors and the way they deliver the lines. I know our producer Ahmad studied theater, so he might be either applauding me or rolling his eyes in the background. I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, I will ask him later. But uh, I've heard a lot of actors say that theater is where their heart is. It's what they kind of, to really show off their craft, they want to be on the stage.
1: The reason for that is once you're on stage, no matter the number of rehearsals you've done, no matter what's on the script, it's just you. And Mm. lots of times, like I remember this one time I was doing a play and I walked on stage. It was a 45 minute play and it was a one act play. I opened my mouth to say my first dialogue and I slipped. And there was an audience of like 500 people and all of them just like breathed. And I could I could (laughs) hear them say, (gasps) And there was just that one sound, and I froze. (laughs) So, you just get up and you improvise and you manage and you do your thing. So, by the end of the day, like on the day of the performance, it's the actor that's there. You
2: have to save the show. Yes, 100%. And, uh, Rhea, just a little piece of trivia here, because, you know, I like me to Google things. And um, Charlie Hunnam said that. Oh, he's a British actor and screenwriter. I've never met him. But, yeah, (laughs) I've I've known him in passing. I'm joking. I don't know (laughs) him. I mean, Rabab, your story sounds amazing, but I Mm. think it sounds 600 times more amazing because of where it happened. Mm. You know, I think this part of the world and like broadly speaking, you know, like where Rhea and I come from, where you come from. Yeah. And I could imagine the story being told by like some kid in like, you know, the UK or whatever, like Britain's Got Talent. But I think it's incredible that you got to experience this as a very young child, a girl with your mom being so like supportive and your parents and your family overall in Pakistan, I have no idea of like, is this was this controversial? Is this a thing? Like, was it, were you, you know, one of many or was this very unique? How did you experience that with like that part of your identity?
0: Did your parents not want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer? Yeah, I mean, that's what my mom said.
1: So you, you're absolutely right uh, when you say this, that in this part of the world, it is quite a challenge. And I think that is another reason I have so much respect for my parents, because this was unheard of. Mm. In Pakistan, if if you're from a non-showbiz family, which I was from, like I did not have anyone in my extended family mm. who would even be from the industry. So this was unheard of. And my parents had to develop like a very thick skin uh, when it came to people's, uh, comments or people's opinions about what they were doing with their child. So it was a span of five or six years until I actually made it because I was a kid when I started off, when mm-hmm. I started doing the bigger projects or being seen on TV more. And then suddenly everyone wanted me to introduce their own kids to like, you know, the fraternity or get them an audition or take them on a shoot. But before that, I think my parents had a really hard time because, um, no one was supportive of it except for them but they were very strong minded they were very strong headed they knew what they wanted and uh, they never let it get to me so um, i wouldn't mm-hmm. be it wouldn't be correct if i say that um, i faced that resistance you know i was just a kid by the end of the day so they made that choice and they stuck to that till the point that um, you know i grew up and i said this is what i want to take up as a career professionally And I don't want to, because I also have a bachelor's and I said, I don't want to do this. Uh, I'll be pursuing acting. So even then, I did not face that kind of resistance from them, knowing that in Pakistan, for a girl to uh, make that choice is not exactly something that is commonly accepted. Mm
0: -hmm. As an actor, from what I've read or or an interviews that I've heard, going from project to project is kind of a very tough industry, right? To kind of, guaranteeing what your next job is going to be or securing your next job. Is it similar in Pakistan as well as it is in other countries in terms of you have to kind of secure job after job or or how does that work?
1: Absolutely. That's actually how it works uh, throughout the world because um, there's just one simple phrase that you stick to, out of sight, out of mind. So mm. when you're doing a project and it's ending, the only thing on your mind is, what's next because you want the next thing to be better than the one you've done before. Also, as an actor, I feel uh, we work such long hours. Like people feel that it's a glamorous job and they'd just be dressing (laughs) up and, you know, uh, sitting in front of the camera, but it's generally like a 14, 15 hour work day every single day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a workaholic. I have grown up doing that all my life. So when I finish a project, I'm always cribbing and I'm like, Oh, I need a break. I need a vacation. And one week at home, and I'm already sick of it. I want to go back to set and I want to do it all <laughs> over again. So it's it's one of those things as well that when you finish a project, it, not out of anything else, but out of just the fact that you really want to be back on set and you want to be doing the job itself, that you actually worry about what you're doing next. Mm-hmm. And uh, it works that way. When I moved to Dubai, one of my biggest concerns which I discussed with my husband, Sohebh, I I asked him, I was like, I will continue working. And there will be lots of times where I will be away for months because there's a project that I really want to do. Would that bother you? And he was like, no, go for it. Like if it's something that, you know, uh, excites you, you should do it. When I moved here and uh, within three weeks of moving, I signed a new project and I traveled back because (laughs) internally I was so afraid of being away from work that just to prove to myself that hey, moving has not changed anything and I will still be doing this. I just wanted to be back. Like I've been here three years except for the uh, later part of the pregnancy and uh, this year, mm. I've taken a bit of a break. But before that, I have never been in the Dubai longer than three weeks. Like I would always go back, <laughs> shoot a spell, come back and I lived for it.
0: And I remember when we were we were having coffee once, You you told me, how your husband as well was like fully supportive of you going back and forth how did you kind of bring that up to him and how did you negotiate that with him um you know like a newly married couple Rhea, moved to dubai Rhea, what, Rhea. what 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 women like rabab myself you we don't negotiate we just tell i just want to know what the reaction is i was is. about to say that actually i want to <laughs> know what the reaction is because a lot of times you know these um <laughs> The, or listen, gosh, this is yeah. me being listen i'm gonna say this this is me after a lot of dates with Arab men who seem to like independent <laughs> women at first, but then when push comes to shove, they run away so mm-hmm. maybe you with found, you know, Eastern men who are open? I don't know. Tell me. Tell me everything.
1: (laughs) I would would say two things to this. Uh, Firstly, I was very straightforward with this. Like when we started talking about marriage that we, you know, we should consider this. So one of the first conversations, like um, I was very upfront straight about it, that work would be something that um, that is important to me and I would continue Mm. working. And that is that was the only thing I was hesitant about. So he gave me full authority, and he was like, do whatever you like. And the second thing I would mention is I think I got really lucky because this guy, he has stuck to his word
0: mm. for the last three
1: years. Um, I literally gave birth this year and um, my daughter was like four weeks old and postpartum so much is happening to you. Like you are just overwhelmed. And this TVC came up and they said uh, it's a week. You will have to travel to Pakistan and do it. And I actually like turned around and I was like, hey, I'm considering doing this. How do I go about it? And he was like, go for it. He's like, just leave her here. I'll take care of her. And I was like, but she's four weeks old. I cannot leave her behind. And he's like, hey, I think you need a break as well. So these four weeks have been overwhelming. Just go for it. And I did not end up doing it. Like I didn't do it. But just the fact that your partner can Mm -hmm. offer to do that and would give you that confidence that we'll make it work means the world to you in a situation like that. But I have to give it to him that he's been super supportive and uh, each time that something has come up, regardless of whether I choose to do it or not, from him, it has always been a yes.
2: Just a couple of things um, that you said that I really resonated with. I think my husband had this in his wedding vows that when he met me, I told him, like he knew very clearly that he came second after work. <laughs> you know, And now it's like, my daughter, my work, my husband, and he knows it and he's cool with it. And is like, he, he's clear on that. And so I think, Rhea, to answer your, you know, dating questions, I think you pick a guy who's like that and you don't take anything other than that. And you pick a guy who, as Rabab was saying, will stick to it. Isn't just like, you know, throwing dust in your eyes, but actually push comes to shove. You know that he will stand yeah. by that. I feel the same way. I went back to work when my... Do- so my work was a bit easier than yours, I have to say. Mine was like remote work. I could do it like holding her. So it's not at all as hard of a decision as what you had to face. But I went back to work when she was three weeks old. I just couldn't sit around doing nothing. You know, you talked about that itch earlier. I was like, I, I love her to death. She's amazing. She's the happiest thing I've ever done in my life. But I also need to work or else I am not going to be a good mom. I'm just going to be so upset that this is now all I do. And so he was so supportive. He's been so supportive ever since. If I have to travel, if I have to focus on work, he does the night shifts. He does the morning shifts. And yeah, I definitely think having a supportive partner is so, so, so important. And um, one should never settle for less than that.
0: Do your husbands have brothers? Mine <laughs> dog. Yeah. They're all married.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> also... Going back to work four weeks in, I have this image of Marilyn because sometimes we will work in parallel on Zoom. And I remember she was in Canada and I was in Dubai. I was like, oh, yeah, let's she's like open Zoom. So like, I'm like, oh, hey, probably going to work, see the baby. And men's just like has her work face. And I'm like, where's Gabby? And she's like, oh, she's here. <laughs> she just like pulls her up and shows her to me on the Zoom screen.
1: No, that's that's one thing I envy you for because um, this whole year I have considered everything from switching careers to moving back to Mm -hmm. Pakistan to doing something to sort of make it work together. Because Mm -hmm. uh, in my line of work, I had to take that break towards the end. I could not be on screen, although I was working till the sixth month. And I wasn't really showing. So that worked in my favor. But those last three months were so difficult that I just kept wondering, what can I potentially do to sort of, you know, make this work? And I'm still figuring it out. But um, yeah, I think that has been the hardest part.
2: Yeah, I really love that. I did. I wanted to ask you about like how your priorities shifted, because I, I think that when something so momentous happens in our experience and also in our day-to-day, like let's not remove the operational side of dealing with a child, which no one tells you about. So it's not just like, oh, this big like personal, spiritual, whatever experience. It's also like hours of extra labor per day that you now have to deal with. But I think it it reprioritizes things in both good and bad ways. So I'll, I'll give an example. So for me, one of the things was I realized that I could never... Live up to the level of excellence or expectation that I used to set for myself, simply because I didn't have enough time or sleep. And so I invented this concept, which I still use to this day, that I call eighty-two percent grace, which is to say that whereas before becoming a mom, I used to expect a hundred and fifty percent from myself, I was now going to be okay with eighty-two percent, meaning I could get it wrong eighteen percent of the time, and I would still find that that was Good enough That that was better than, you know, better than average. So on the one side, I had to reprioritize by just allowing myself to not be as good as I would have been when I had all this extra time. But also, it allowed me to reprioritize in good ways in the sense that... I'm now sharper on what I really care about. I'm much better at saying no to things. I also really like went ham on the stuff that I wanted to do at work. Like I didn't at all give that up. I was like, no, this is, I'm role modeling. I'm securing the future of my child. I'm also being true to myself. And I think that honoring your own identities outside of just the identity of being a mother is a great way to be a mother because you're showing your child that you don't just define yourself versus others, but you can also cho- make your own choices, and I want to hear your experience of that re- great reshuffle, so to speak, after you became a mom.
1: I sort of had a hard time figuring figuring that out. By the way, the eighty two percent thing was beautiful. I, I think that's that's something that I could learn from because that's a great way to sort of uh, restructure, you know, your perspective uh, and how you're going about it. Because I have found myself to be extremely self critical. Uh, for two to three reasons. My profession is a bit ruthless that way. Yeah. That uh, you as an actor, you're under so much scrutiny that you're always very critical towards your appearance, towards your work, towards whatever you're doing, your projects, everything. So um, motherhood did not only come with all the responsibilities and the ups and downs. It also came with the pressure of going back to normal, bouncing mm-hmm. back, because Anyone who would find out uh, towards the end that I was pregnant, because we hadn't really announced it before, the first question I would get is, do you plan to go back to work? So when do you start working? And although it wasn't probably meant uh, as a negative uh, you know, question or something, but um, I took it as pressure. Like I would always remember myself responding with, yeah, as soon as possible, like within a month, although... I'm sure some part of me knew that was a bit unrealistic and it might not work out that way. I just said it to sort of reaffirm to myself that I'll be doing it. I'll get back in the game. I'll go back to work. Anything that came up right after I had given birth, I did not right away say no to it. Although a part of me knew that I might not make it work. But Soheb had this conversation with me where he told me, don't you think it would be easier for you if you sort of mark put a mark, put a date for yourself that this is the day that I will go back to work. Anything comes up before this, I say, no, it would give you a lot of sanity. It would give you that break. And I think that's when I started processing it that way, that I set that mark for me that, okay, I'm going to give it four months. And then I'll assess the situation and then see if I want to go back to work or how do I want to you know uh, go about it. And I think that gave me sanity uh, then because for four months, then I focused on, making it work as a parent, getting control of my life, getting my body back, sort of bouncing back, recovering. And that was a healthy process. Right on dot, when uh, Maisha turned like four months old, a project came up. And that was the first time I could say that I'm ready. And I traveled for two days and my husband, you know, took off from work. Two days, he took care of her. It was also the first time I was away from her. So I did become the paranoid parent. I kept checking the baby monitor uh, all the while, while while I was in Pakistan shooting. And I did like call him 200 times to check if he was doing everything properly. But I did find uh, that in myself to take that step, travel, be the person that I was before. I thoroughly enjoyed being on set from getting ready for it to doing that 15 hour work day to, you know, dubbing for the thing like Every moment of it, it reminded me of why I love this so much and it helped me. So after those four months, I felt like the process became simpler for me. Now, if something comes up, I can draw that line and, you know, put it in a compartment in my head that, yes, I do have a child, but I can also continue being this person and I can also make it work somehow. It has given me a lot of confidence since then. There are still bad days and... uh, I just feel progressively each day we are sort of getting better at it because Mm -hmm. when we started off, uh, we had no idea what we were doing. We came back from the hospital with a tiny little thing that we had (laughs) no idea how to take care of. And uh, now I feel like we're sort of figuring it out and it has, uh, things have changed for the better.
0: I love that. I have have two questions. So do you feel like different roles are being offered to you now that you're a mom or different types of roles? Slash, are you looking for different types of role now that you're a mother?
1: In that sense, I don't feel like it has made much of a difference because I've played a mother on screen way before I became a parent. So that is one thing that I've never sort of differentiated. in if a script really spoke to me and i felt like it was a good project to do but i do feel uh at this particular stage in my life that my range of emotion has certainly you know broadened so uh, that is the part that i find exciting now that if i do the okay. same projects that i've done before i would probably treat them differently those scenes i would treat them differently because the project that i did last year. I had a small baby with me in that entire project and I was incidentally like five months pregnant at the time Mm -hmm. uh, while I was shooting for it. So I had lots of emotional scenes with that baby and um, I feel like if I do those same scenes now, I would feel differently about it because Mm -hmm. I've experienced a small part of it.
0: So interesting. It's almost as as if like motherhood has pushed you as an actor or has pushed your craft. Uh, And I think that's something that maybe not a lot of people talk about ab- about how actually becoming a mother changes the way you work. Marilyn, have you found that becoming a mother has changed the way you work? I know it's different industry, but I would be curious to see if it's altered the way you do things
2: for sure i mean first of all it's made me a lot chiller about a lot of things like a lot of things that would have flustered me or like caused me anxiety i'm like this is fine like we will all survive i'm gonna go and feed my child because if i don't that's a real problem you know like so i think it really gives you um a kind of a new lens to to decide what you do or don't worry about i also really think and I say this at a lot of things. Like I took the pill from when I was 15 till when I started wanting to have a child, right? Mm -hmm. And so I never experienced period pain in the same way that other women used to. And so, you know, like I was always the nice boss and I was always trying to be compassionate, but I remember like being judgy, like... I never said a thing and I never behaved in a judgy way. But I remember like when girls would come up to me and be like, oh, I need to go home. I'm in so much pain. I'd be like, whatever. Like how painful can your period really be? But I'd be like, of course, go home. But then when I experienced it myself, I was like, whoa, this is like hell. You know, like when I stopped taking the pill and started having real periods, So, it was the same with motherhood, I think. It really gave me so much respect Mm. and admiration. Like, I am a complete spoiled brat. First of all, I work from home. Second of all, I have help. Also, I have a nursery. Also, I have space in my house. Also, I'm not a single parent. Like, if you had to check all the boxes of how hard it is to be a mom, I have help everywhere. And with that, like, the first year was so hard. And I would think, like, I have no idea how mothers who are alone or don't have help or can't delegate their child or work from an office. Like, I do work 12 hours a day, but they're interspersed with like, I can spend an hour with her in the morning. When she comes home, we can have lunch together. Like, the privilege of being able to work from home is so amazing. And so to go back to your question, what it has changed for me is also the amount of respect and compassion and admiration that I have for other mothers who work is just mad. And certainly, like I, like I said earlier, it's made me better at saying no to things. Mm. Because now when we talk about entrepreneurship or, you know, having your business, we talk about all these trade-offs, right? Like, oh, long-term versus short-term thinking or, I don't know, expanding versus financial profit. Like, whatever. There's all these trade-offs that you're making. the The thing we don't talk about is the trade-off of work versus time with this person that you love more than anything in the world and so I've also gotten better at doing things so much faster before I would like spend 45 minutes picking the right icons for the slide and I'm like seven minutes tops you know and, and I would like maybe I didn't really want this project but it was good money and why not and I'm like no thank you you know. so yeah I think it's changed a lot in that sense yeah
0: but also, I guess like project, it's similar to Rabab, right? So whenever you are offered a role or are up for something, you I'm assuming and I know we shouldn't assume, but I'm I'm assuming it has to be something that speaks to you for you to have to, you know, take time away from from your daughter. Is that is that also the case in terms of your pickiness and what you want to do?
1: Absolutely. Like, um, I think when I was in this has been the case uh, for the last three years, to be honest, because Every project that I choose is also the time that I'm choosing to be away from home, even before I had Maisha. After that, I think I became more choosy because Mm -hmm. um, each time that I took on a project, I wanted to make sure that it was worth it for me. So that is still the case. Now it's just that I miss home a lot more when I'm away because um, there are multiple reasons to
2: do so something that Ray and I were were discussing as we were preparing for this show, I mean, we were trying to imagine what your job looks like and Mm. thinking like also how different this job is if it was like 20 or 30 years ago in the sense that like today, it's not just that you're on TV. It's also you have a massive like Instagram following. You have all these different mediums that you have to be on. Like being in the media industry today is like constant content, even if you're not like doing a show or on a specific piece you have to always be in the public eye through social media and contrasting that to like, you have, in a sense, maybe I'm wrong. It feels like you have to dedicate so much more time to that, to yeah. the content creation piece and being a mom now, like, how do you, how do you manage all of that? I think it
1: can get very overwhelming. And, um, I think the first six months, uh, I did not post as much on social media. I was really away from it because, um, to be honest, like, um, I know it looks a little glamorous in all the pictures, but being a mom is anything but glamorous. It's, it's, it's a full-time job. So um, I was uh, sort of getting to terms with that because uh, the amount of time that you dedicate to creating content or taking good pictures or coming up with ideas, all of that I was investing in just getting through the day with my daughter. So I think Instagram and social media took a backseat. Um, now I think I've found some sanity. So I post more often, I would mm-hmm. take good pictures, I would create content, but uh, in the first few months, I really could not. I, I just felt like it was too much pressure and uh, I sort of willingly let go of that in that mm-hmm. space because I felt like if I pressurize myself into being camera ready at home all the time uh, to take pictures or to you know post about my life, then this is I'm going to lose the remaining 10% of sanity I have left. Uh, it was really crazy the first few months like I and Soheb we were like we would often burst into laughter at 3 a.m because she would be crying for three hours Mm -hmm. she was a colic baby Uh, but now I feel like I'm getting the hang of it and uh, it is even without a child it is a lot of pressure because uh, initially you were an actor your job was just on screen now the job never ends Like as Mm. soon as you're done from set, you have an Instagram and a Twitter and a Facebook Mm. uh, to like post about your life. And uh, people want that sort of content. They want to know what you're doing. It has also somehow become part of work because now when you're working for a brand, they want to know how many followers you have, what sort of uh, online presence you have, what kind of content are you creating. Mm. So it really matters even on the work front. So half of it is for yourself, but the other half and the greater half is actually uh, just work.
0: And knowing that, how do you decide what kind of content you create and how you connect with your community? Is sharing about motherhood something that you do, kind of tapping into your community? Or do you kind of separate church and state so you don't really talk about motherhood on your on your socials? Or is it something that you share or even work, like your your work life and things like that?
1: I think I have only recently started sharing it a lot because um, uh, so quite interestingly, when I found out that I was pregnant, I had already just signed a project and I had shot 10 percent of the project. 90% of it was left and uh, that's when I found out. So I think I was very overwhelmed and I decided at that point not to um, talk about the pregnancy. Mostly actors announce it. I chose not to announce it. Um, They found out in the last week. And uh, for the rest of the people, they found out after Maisha was born. I announced it five days after she was born. So pregnancy side and the personal side of life, I and Soheve decided we did not even share it with friends and family we told everyone after about like i think 4 months of the pregnancy so the first 4 months it was just the two of us and uh, wow. we knew about it and it was a really personal and really special moment for us that it was just something that the two of us shared and nobody knew about it but later on i think uh, sometime this year when uh, after she was born when we got over the initial madness figured it out i felt like it has become a part of uh, you know my life now and mm-hmm. on Instagram, when we're traveling, I used to post a lot of stories even before marriage and, you know, even before show was born. I would always share travel content. And this time when I was traveling and she was with us. So obviously she was there in a lot of videos and pictures. And I was just thinking about it. I was like, how do I share this? Like, uh, should I share all of it? And yeah. uh, when I went over the content and I discussed it with Sohebh and I realized it was actually part of who we were now as people, And I wanted that to be part of my um, social media as well. So not all of it, but certain parts of it that I felt both of us were okay with it, I would share that Mm -hmm. with people. And um, to my surprise, I got a lot of questions from people. And I realized that as actors, because people look up to you, They also want to know how you're handling these things. Lots of people wanted to know how I bounced back after the pregnancy. I got questions about like, how did you lose weight? How are you going about it? Like, you know, how are you bringing up your daughter? Such things. And I realized people are genuinely interested in knowing how you deal with these things in your life because they follow you as an actor and they look up to Mm. you. So yeah. that was also a fascinating process. And I I felt like there was no harm in sharing that.
2: Did you also get advice? Like I well, something that happened when I became a mom is that every other mom that I know kind of welcomed me into the secret community I didn't know existed. I, could, I now had permission to like message them at 3 a.m. and they would answer. You know what I mean? <laughs> or to be like, I don't, my child has this and like send them a picture of, I don't know, something on their toe and be like, Can you help? So I see one aspect of your community kind of looking up to you and seeing you as a role model, but did you also get even unsolicited advice and and how did you feel about it? Does anyone like tell you, like, you know, get involved in like your mothering?
1: So so two things about this. This was reason number two why I decided not to announce the pregnancy <laughs> because I <laughs> felt like the minute you announce that you're pregnant, everyone starts giving you all of this unsolicited yeah, advice no that you, you just don't want. And it, that can get overwhelming. So I think in the initial months, I was like, I am not announcing this because I don't want people to tell me what to do. But quite interestingly, I felt this difference uh, when we traveled with Maisha. And I felt like people just treat you differently. They're just so much kinder because I and uh, Soheb were like just sort of scared. We were petrified on how we're going to take the flight with her. And, you know, we were always like, you know, when we'd get on an airplane, we would spot the families with the little infants and we would think, oh, God, my seat should not be anywhere near them. And we're like, now we're those people.
0: (laughs) People wouldn't want
1: to sit with us. So uh, we were really scared about how she would be on the flight and everything. But to be honest, I realized people were just so nice. They were so helpful. They made me skip lines everywhere. Um, you know, if she started crying and someone was ahead of me. they Everyone just genuinely wanted to help.
0: I feel like there's, you know, two kinds of people. There's like the ones who, you know, want to give you unsolicited advice and maybe come from a judgy place. But I feel like those are like a small percentage of people. And then I think there's a majority who either have gone through this experience or are about to become mothers who are discovering it all newly or kind of feel like they're going through it alone. And then when they see public figures like yourself going through it, they want to know oh gosh, like, how are you managing? They kind of want to create that community as well of shared experience and inspiration. And we really found that we we even started a series called The Things My Mother Didn't Tell Me But My Best Friend Did, kind of sharing experiences for Marilyn about her pregnancy and about motherhood and the amount of answers that we got of people oh my gosh me too but why doesn't anyone talk about this why doesn't anyone talk about your body changing after you give birth or why doesn't anyone talk about this or that so I think it's it's probably a place where you can represent that for them or actually be a place of comfort and of advice so they they're actually seeking advice from you which I think is quite cool I mean, I uh, I definitely
2: used to think like I don't want anybody's stupid damn advice, but I found comfort in it. I guess there's two kinds of people on that topic. Um, but I I also have found a lot of comfort because I find that when it comes to motherhood and especially like because of Instagram, Rhea, obviously you have no idea what I'm talking about, but there's this like expectation that by the time your kid is one years old they will sleep through the night they will feed themselves they will tie their own shoelaces and i think that the nice thing about that community is it's very down to earth and it's like listen y'all don't worry about it my kid didn't sleep until they were three or i had to feed them whatever until you know whatever and i find that it's really reassuring to hear it from the mouths of other mothers even when sometimes you're like sure whatever you know like even with the little bit of unsolicited advice because otherwise you might think that you're constantly failing as a mother when actually you just have a kid and they do their own thing
1: i also interestingly um like on the subject i also find this quite amusing because in pakistan pregnancies are treated uh like you know Your relatives or your extended family would expect you to not travel too much, not, you know, spend too many hours at work, especially with my kind of work where it's really physically it's also really taxing. I took probably 30 flights, close Mm -hmm. to 30 flights in my first five months of pregnancy. So I was quite sure that I do not want anyone to know at this stage because I will be judged and I will get Mm -hmm. so much advice and it would probably make me paranoid. So I was traveling back and forth, working, doing all of that. And I wanted to sort of close myself to that pressure that would come externally. But even after having a kid, I feel like sometimes the advice that you get is not very logical. It's just that generationally, kids have been brought up in a certain way or people are used to doing things in a certain way. So they expect you to do that. So I've made it a point like I fact check. So even if my mom's telling me to do something, I'm like, okay, but I'm just going to Google this to make sure this is the right way to go about it. And half of the time she's right. But uh, it gives me sort of satisfaction that I'm going about it the way that I would like to.
0: Yeah. I also feel like the portrayal of women and pregnant women and mothers in the media is like either this very delicate flower that needs to be weighted on hand and foot and that should not leave the couch, or it's kind of like, oh, no big thing. We don't feel any morning sickness or anything like that and from from my friends who are around me and it's not like that you know like each pregnancy is different and it's difficult in its own way hello listeners this is producer Ahmed Ashur hopping on the god mic for a second just to let you know that at this point in the interview Marilyn had to step out because
2: what sorry my child is screaming for me oh go 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 okay keep going I'll be right back go Go, go,
0: go. Ah, Gabby, we love her so much. Now, Marilyn did not come right back, (laughs) but that's okay, because Rhea to the rescue. Just wanted to take a moment to explain the sudden disappearance of our co-host, Marilyn. Alrighty, back to the episode. Hope you're enjoying it. So speaking of representation in the media, uh, we also wanted to ask you about how have you viewed representation in the media evolving? So we've seen, for example, in the West, We've seen more, you know, people of color have prominent roles and have entire TV series or film built around them. So people who come to mind are, you know, Mohammed Rami Youssef. We've even seen on Marvel, they've introduced a Pakistani character, Miss Marvel. I used to read the comics uh, before the TV show came out, just wanted to say. Um A, what does representation look like in Pakistan as a film industry? Like how how are people being represented? Have you seen more, you know, diversity of characters, but also how have you seen representation in the media in general? How has that evolved?
1: In Pakistan, we have a long way to go because um, in terms of stories, I feel like we need a lot more diversity. That has just started happening uh, because you have more educated filmmakers coming in, people who are studying film properly, who are studying abroad. They bring fresh perspectives and they're making cinema. Uh, Just yesterday, I was seeing one of uh, the Pakistani films has won an an award in an international film festival. So that has become a thing now that, uh, you know, all these independent filmmakers are making really good quality cinema. And uh, they're sending it out to film festivals. Those stories are different. Uh, they represent a different segment of the society that is that you wouldn't generally see in cinema storytelling. And um, I think that's a good thing. But we have a long way to go. As for international representation, I feel like sometimes as an audience, I would say that... Um, there are a lot of stereotypes. Like if I see oh, a great. Pakistani character or an Arab character represented in um, an international film, I feel like it is very far from reality. It's funny how you would be watching Mission Impossible and suddenly he gets out of Burj Khalifa and he's in the middle of the desert with camels running around. We all know Dubai is not like that. Yes. So when you see that on screen, you find it funny. And with a Pakistani character, the representation is... is almost comical, because being from Pakistan, I would say that we're not like that. So I feel like we need a lot more awareness there that, you know, if you have an Arab character or a Pakistani character or, or, or a person of color, you need to at least do your research properly and know how things are done and these people, how they act and how they talk. And, you know, the the accents would be all funny. And I would find it insulting at times, to be honest. And I feel like if a Pakistani character was actually playing this character, it would be done differently. So in that sense, I feel like a lot of work can be done.
0: I, I totally agree with you. I remember when Homeland was on TV, there was a season where they went to Beirut and they, you know, gave this aerial shot of this town. Surely was not Beirut in any way, shape or form. But it looked, you know, very, very poor. Very, very dangerous, and the, even the, the the neighborhood they chose to highlight called Hamra. That's where kind of the American University of Beirut is. There's a lot of bars there. There's a lot of very rich nightlife, a rich intellectual life there. And the way they portrayed it was this very dangerous place where a bunch of quote unquote terrorists live. And if if and if I would think the way the media or the way Westerners look at our regions. So whether it be Pakistan or the Middle East, they have this idea of this caricature of us, you know, or this view of we are dangerous. And I think that also contributes to the dehumanization of Arabs and Muslims that we're seeing in what's happening in Gaza today. So I think that it's very important. And, and yes, there are TV shows and films that are centered around people of color or people from our region, but it's also about the big mainstream films and TV shows that have characters from our region or that travel to our region that also need to be just as mindful and, and actually being more mindful than the ones where we have, you know, characters from our region as the main characters.
1: To be quite honest, Rhea, like you mentioned Homeland, um, Islamabad was also portrayed That's the same true. way. On That's same very show, true, if I If I'm not mistaken. When you actually go to Islamabad, you'll see it is nothing like that. It is very different from that. Mm -hmm. So these things really do matter. They have an effect because I can tell you firsthand when I travel and I meet a lot of different people, they ask me questions about Pakistan at times, which leave me speechless for a few seconds. Like I've been asked Mm -hmm. if there are actual restaurants in Pakistan. uh, Are there buildings in Pakistan? Because they watch this content and they have this perception of a really backward Place with like, you know, nothing there. And I would I would be surprised when I hear the, those questions. And most of them happen when I'm on a trip in the US yeah. or in Europe or somewhere. And I feel like they do not have an idea what the world looks like on, uh, on this end and how things are. So I feel like this could really um, help if, you know, there is more awareness around this, that when you are portraying this part of the world or a character from this part of the world, enough research should be done on it and it yeah. should be shown the correct way. I think uh, we use our voice wherever we can in whatever way we yeah. can, but uh, that is also one of the good parts about uh, social media that uh, you get to sort of tell your story there.
0: What's one thing you haven't done yet that you're excited about for the near future?
1: So um, I have been, it has been on my mind for a long time and um, I think I just I really want to explore filmmaking go behind the camera
2: so Ooh, I I love
1: this yes so that's that's one thing that has been on my mind I've been playing with it I've been thinking about it I've been researching but at some point in life I don't know if it's uh, happening in the immediate future or sometime later But I think that's one thing that I need to explore still, because as an actor, I've done theater, I've done TV, I've done a lot of hosting in my career, I've done a web series as well. But one thing I haven't checked off as yet is getting greater control over the content, because as an actor, uh, the one thing that you do is you control your own part in the story. But I feel like as a filmmaker or a storyteller in general, uh, you have more control over the whole content and the message of the content. So I Mm -hmm. think um, at some point in time, I don't know when that would be, but I would like to explore that side. And um, I'm also, flexibility in terms of location has been one of my primary challenges this year uh, after I've had a kid. So I've uh, been working on sort of, you know, using my own socials to sort of, create the kind of content that I want. So I've been playing with the idea of uh, vlogging and a podcast. So that's something that's in the works.
0: I love that. We, we would love to see you in the podcasting world with your own podcast, not just as a guest of a podcast. And I love that. And, and something that I will say is having also more women behind the camera is very important because as you mm-hmm. say, as an actor, you control your piece. But having equal representation behind the camera is also very important and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be listening to this podcast a lot of people who have their own kids uh, maybe Maisha will be listening to this podcast when she's old (laughs) enough so what would you tell those people either 10 year old Rabab or one day 10 year old Maisha uh, and, and let's say they want to enter the entertainment industry what would you say?
1: I would actually give them the same advice that my mom throughout my growing years has been giving me. There is a piece of Urdu poetry that she used to quote, quote uh, for me. I would roughly tell you what it means, that you should never be uh, afraid of anything opposing you like the winds that oppose a bird because that they only help you in flying higher. So my mom would always quote that piece of poetry uh, to me, and uh, whenever I, w- I felt overwhelmed or you know something was really challenging, she would tell me that all the obstacles in your way are just there to make you better at what you do. So I would say that to everyone, and this applies to everyone, regardless of gender, uh, regardless of you know where you're from or what you're trying to do. Sometimes we don't realize it, but we end up becoming our own enemies because you put yourself down. So. I think half the battle is won. When you're clear-headed, you have a goal and you realize that whatever's happening to you, you just have to make the best of your circumstances. And uh, I think that's how you win against whatever it is that
0: you're standing against. I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for sharing with us your story, being so vulnerable and open about this new chapter of your life as a mom, as a mom in the entertainment industry. And if listeners want to keep up with Rabab uh, and Baby Maisa on Instagram, uh, they can follow you on at Abby Hashim. So that's A B B I E, H A S H I M. Her page is amazing. Uh, we one hundred percent recommend. This was Rea and Marilyn and our producer Ahmad Ashur over in Bahrain. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast, so you don't miss an episode. Also, don't forget to rate and review the show. And please follow us on at who run the world pod on both Instagram and TikTok until next time.